The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 81 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. The Popscast is a collection of weekly connectfulness conversations where we examine how to create deeply restorative ripples of transformation within ourselves and with the world around us. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and mentor to therapist changemakers. Before we uh, dive too deep into today's episode, I want to just let you, my listeners, know that I'm really grateful for you and that this episode marks the end of this podcast season. I am um, going to be going on hiatus and integrating all of the conversations that we've been having here and regrouping a little bit and planning my own big pivot. In the next week or so, there will be a final episode released to let you know more about this new direction, which I'm really excited about. Before we, uh, we move into that content, though, I have one last conversation to share with you, and I'm really excited about it. Those of you who have been listening to the podcast for some time may recall April Snow. She joined us on episode 57 when we launched our highly sensitive series, and she's returning to dive even deeper with us and answer some listener questions and curiosities around the highly sensitive trait. April is an associate marriage and family therapist in downtown San Francisco. April believes that thriving as a highly sensitive person is a matter of knowing yourself and making adjustments to care for your unique temperament. In this episode, we're talking about the ways that the highly sensitive trait and trauma, especially in a dysregulated state, can overlay. And we're diving deeply into the discussion around the development of our inner voices. We ask big questions like, where do you shine? And what parts of yourself do you sacrifice in service of others? There's something for all of us to take away and learn from this conversation because every single one of us gets to pause and lean in and learn who we are in relationships with ourselves, and who we are and how we show up in relationships with others. We also have to pause and learn our partners and loved ones. And so... With that, I share with you this last conversational episode of the season. Welcome back to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm really excited. Today, April Snow is back with me for a second episode on our Highly Sensitive series. April, we got a lot of really great feedback after our first episode, and I'm really excited to be talking to you again. Me too. Yeah, I also heard a lot of good things about our conversation and people appreciating how deeply we dove into this topic of being highly sensitive. There's a lot of misperceptions about what it means to be highly sensitive. People don't realize that it's actually a trait, not just an emotional experience or a result of trauma or something or being fragile or anxious. So there's a lot of um, stigma around it. You know, that that brings us right into one of the questions that we got a lot of. So before I go there, can you just, for the listeners that might not have heard our first episode, can you give us a really brief description of what high sensitivity is? Absolutely. So being a highly sensitive person just means that you have this innate trait that allows your brain to deeply process information and also allows you to feel um, higher amounts of empathy, 
you tend to get easily overwhelmed because you're taking in so much information and you're also more aware of your senses. So you might be impacted by bright lights or strong smells, things like that. And again, this is a innate trait. So it's something that you're born with. It exists in up to 15 to 20% of the population equal among all genders and up to 30% of HSPs are extroverts, which is actually not well known. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so one of these questions that kept coming up was about attachment history and trauma and being a highly sensitive person and how much are these things interwoven and connected? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a a really good question because one of the, the biggest misperceptions is around that sensitivity is born out of our early childhood experiences. Um, And As I just said, that's actually not true. We're born with it. However, we have this quality within us that's called differential susceptibility. It means that we're more negatively impacted by difficult experiences. So let's say we did have um, a trauma experience as a child or we had an insecure or disorganized attachment. We're going to be more impacted by that than a non-HSP child would be. So when you say more impacted, I I also just want to clarify that for the general population, we tend to have an imbalance of either five to one or seven to one in terms of allowing those negative experiences to weigh more than the positive ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That for the for the just the average person, it takes about five or seven positive experiences to weigh in our brains as deeply as one negative experience can weigh. So if that's just the average right. way of experiencing the world for the highly sensitive person. How does that magnify? It's, yeah, I, I don't have an exact number, but I can just think of how we fixate on things that have caused us pain or anguish or that have gone wrong because we do feel all of our emotions so deeply, especially those negative experiences. You know, we're wired as human beings in general to categorize and remember negative experiences so we can avoid them in the future. But the highly sensitive. Stay safe. Exactly. It's a safety um, mechanism. But for the highly sensitive person, especially the child, we're going to remember that even more so because we felt it so much. It caused so much pain for us. So I've heard people say, I remembered something for 20 years, even something small. Because it becomes a somatic memory. Absolutely right. You really feel it in your body, in your whole experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. April, as a therapist who works with highly sensitive people, what is something that you do to help people who are ruminating on these things, who are holding them, who are staying in these places and feel really trapped by these memories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So one thing I like to do is really, um, val- I always start with validating the experience, you know, giving, just really appreciating the how painful it was, you know, making sense that of course you felt that way. Of course you're still holding on to this, especially in light of being a highly sensitive person because you felt it more than others might have. Um, and it, it makes sense that you would continue to feel that today or, or especially if there's been more layer, layers of experience that look like that on top of it. So yeah, starting with validating, putting it through an HSP lens and then starting to disengage it, right? Start to release it. Um, and then if there's a lot of fear around that happening again, just bringing the person back to reality, you know, what's the likelihood of that happening um, what's actually happening now. And then incorporating a lot of self-compassion work and gratitude for what is working well and start, just start to shift 
the scripts inside of, of the mind. <clears throat> so can you bring us in again to this little relationship between being a highly sensitive person mm-hmm. and being a person who has survived trauma? How do they intertwine and how don't they intertwine? Mm-hmm. Well, if you are highly sensitive, you're going to be more prone to develop mental health struggles if you have experienced trauma. So HSPs who have um, been through difficult situations are more likely to be depressed, to have anxiety, to be shy. Um, and also I, I've read that there's a 43% correlation with HSPs who have had traumatic experiences with developing borderline personality disorder. So there's a very strong correlation there. And on the flip side of that, I also want to highlight that even though we're more deeply impacted by negative experiences, we're also greatly impacted by positive experiences. So that's called vantage sensitivity. So we respond really well to positive interventions, whether that's from a therapist, from a loved one, a caregiver, a teacher. So we are going to thrive even more than a non-HSP when we have that support Mm. and that guidance. That's really helpful to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were saying something before we started recording about the way that our brains are wired. Right. So brain scans have shown that the HSP will have a more active insula, which is our, it's been termed our seat of consciousness. It's the part of the brain that helps us integrate external and internal perception. Mm -hmm. So this this allows us to have this really great perception, intuition, and we really can integrate different experiences at a deeper level than a lot of people. And I know we were talking about it in context for people that may be more empathic or maybe pick up on subtle energies that others miss. And this could be a reason for that. I'm, I'm thinking that there's so many different things that all come together here. There are, mm-hmm. you're, you're having someone who's much more highly sensitive and attuned in different ways mm-hmm. to the world around them and to themselves and mm-hmm. the people that they're in relationship with. You're having another conversation about attachment and uh, people who are raised in a trauma environment. Mm -hmm. And then there's another layer of conversation here about how a highly sensitive person can tap into their intuition and how they can integrate all the different experiences that they're having in life. And within all of these layers, there's a conversation that keeps coming up around and, and I know you have some really strong feelings about this, and, and we've <laughs> talked a little bit about this um, on the last episode and, and even a little bit just now, but I, I think it warrants us going really deeper and, and really differentiating this, right? Mm-hmm. That trauma in and of itself doesn't cause high sensitivity. Exactly. And yet, the person who has high sensitivity experiences trauma at this deep mm-hmm. level. So all right, we get this and we hear it, mm-hmm. but there's still something, I'm still harping on this for a reason. <laughs> and I think it's because we get so many questions about this and th- there's something here that is just so hard for some to understand. E- even the people who are learning about the trait, who are realizing this is who I am, this is how I experience the world, because there's a crossover here, mm-hmm. right? Someone who has experienced trauma, their brain kind of gets rewired in some capacity, similarly to someone who is more highly sensitive. Trauma opens up a, like an, another gateway in there in terms of being hyper-aroused, in terms Abs- of... 
Yes, there you go. I think that's what you hit the nail on the head there. So the highly sensitive person, you know, our, the feature of the trait is just being able to process information deeply, which tends, we tend to then feel our emotions deeply. We tend to pick up on everything in our environment more deeply. However, that often leads to this experience of being overstimulated. Our, our nervous system is easily overstimulated because we are taking in so much and we don't have as, enough time to integrate and process it all. So that does mimic a trauma response of being hyper aroused most of the time, right? You, you end up being on alert most of the time. And then the dysregulated HSP, that's exactly what they look like. However, if you take out the stimulation, that's gone. Just like someone who's in HSP and they look like they have ADHD, but when you take out the stimulation, they can focus. They can yeah, I, I can see the yeah struggle there. And I, I think this is this is pretty key here, and maybe mm -hmm. this is one of the things, is we're talking in, in some cases here about the dysregulated yes. trauma survivor or the dysregulated HSP. And when we're having that conversation and we're talking about that person, it can look a bit the same. In yes. some cases, the person who hasn't learned how to regulate their high sensitivity, the sensitivity itself could be maybe causing a bit of a trauma response. Definitely. And I, this is really important because this is why HSPs often get misdiagnosed with, well, first I want to back up. Just remember that everyone has a temperament and then everyone can also suffer from trauma or mental disorders, right? So you can have both. So there's a need, I think we were talking about before, there's a need to distinguish, but then also look at the overlay. Yeah. So that's why HSPs often get misdiagnosed, A, because people don't know that the trait exists and they don't know what to look for. So the HSP is reading, they come into an office, they look depressed, they probably are. They look anxious, they look like maybe they have symptoms of ADHD, um, it's mo a lot of this time where they look socially anxious. A lot of times it's just the overstimulation. It, it's the lack of being able to process the deep emotions. It's the lack of being understood. And it's the lack of understanding the self enough to yes. know what they need. Right. If you don't know that you're highly sensitive, you don't know that you need more downtime or you can't look at screens as long or, you know, your reaction to smells is completely understandable. There's so many layers. Or that you just need two hours of silence daily. That was like huge for me when we were talking in our last conversation. And you're like, yeah, Lane says that every HSP needs about two hours just to kind of like unplug and unprocess a day. I, it, that yes. was revolutionary for me. Two hours. And who, who just takes two hours in this modern life? You know, it's, it's not even like I don't really know very many people, if any, that do. But mm -hmm. what I do know is a lot of us, myself included, who mm -hmm. get hard on ourselves when we're having trouble thriving in this fast-paced world that we live in. Exactly. So then you're saying there's something wrong with me versus saying, oh, yeah, I just didn't get my downtime today. It's a completely different uh, inner voice. Completely different inner voice, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that this development of this inner voice is, is something I really want to explore with you because I think this is perhaps one of the biggest skills that I'm taking away that the HSP really needs is the development of this voice. And I think I would go so far as to say everybody needs to develop this voice. Mm -hmm. The highly sensitive person is more attuned and is going to respond a gazillion, you know, like it, it's going to just be, they're going to thrive so much more when they have the development of this voice. But 
I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a dreamer, but imagine if everybody developed this inner voice, what kind of world would we live in? I'm just going to break out into a little John Lennon. <laughs> I know, but like, yeah, exactly. Right. Imagine, imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, we live in such a harsh world. You know, I, I think of my clients who come in and they have these really negative self-talk. I mean, it makes sense. We're look at the world that we live in, right? We, so no wonder we're so harsh on ourselves yeah. because we're, we're, that's what's being fed to us outside. Constantly, everywhere, and and even even like where we think we're not getting it, you know, Mm -hmm. you're standing online at the supermarket, and there's magazines in front of you telling you all the reasons that you're not good enough. Exactly, exactly, and you notice. You may not realize that you notice, but that goes into your system unconscious, unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just think of the HSP person who, a, they're taking that in more deeply. And our brains, because we're processing deeply, we make connections. So you may interlay that over all the ways that maybe you feel that you're defective, right? Right. And then you, that inner voice, that negative self-talk increases, and then we feel that even more deeply. And then overlay that over maybe you are also a person who has survived trauma. Right. Also. Right. Yeah. And you don't, you don't maybe feel so good about yourself or the world feels dangerous. And, and there's just more and more layers. So these kinds of conversations, the ones about how to have these more positive, um, permissive, what's, what's the right word here? I don't know if it's positive or it's permissive. It's um, maybe more accepting mm-hmm. conversations with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Just accepting. Know that you're not going to be perfect. I mean, we tend to have to strive for perfectionism, but you're, you don't have to be perfect to accept yourself, to love yourself. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just focus on the part. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, just focus on what is working well. Oh, and it's interesting when I sit with clients and I try to help them express gratitude for themselves. It's oh, it's they really just sneak in that self talk so <laughs> skillfully. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how pervasive it is, and it's so hard for us to just allow ourselves to be. Imperfect. Allow ourselves to just, you know, just to slow down and, and accept ourselves where we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I have this group that I mentor and um, they had an assignment recently where they were looking at some things that they, they do really great in. And they were looking at some other things where um, they could, they could use some growth. And I had one, one of the people in my, in the program reframed just the languaging in such a beautiful way. They said, you know, I I made my list into places that I shine Mm -hmm. and places where I can continue to grow. And I, I totally like, you know, there are other people who were more black and white who were like, these are strengths and weaknesses. And I loved the differentiation here where it really, you know, it's that little tweak of language, Mm -hmm. but the, the awareness that comes with that, that like, these are all parts of me and I accept them all. I, I just love that. And I, I thought this is something that we can all learn from. This is something we can all take away something from. How, where do we all shine? And especially for the HSP, where do you shine? Because we really do shine mm-hmm. in our own special way. It's, it's interesting that, you know, the experience of the HSP is very self-critical. Um, mm-hmm. We've, We've often 
had this experience of putting all these negative labels on ourselves. You're shy, you're too emotional, you're fragile, you're weak. You know, there's this, I don't know if we talked about this, but this assumption that sensitivity is weakness. And that's actually not true. There's a lot of strength and sensitivity and we have a lot of gifts. Just thinking about that level of perception and intuition and empathy and how we're so creative because our brains work so intricately. Those are beautiful gifts and we have the potential to give the world a lot. We give a lot to our relationships, to our work, to our children, to our loved ones, to our communities. That's incredible. We really bring something important. I have no doubt about all the important stuff that is Mm -hmm. brought from that. I also can't help but worry Mm -hmm. because I am wired to worry a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I can't help but worry that so often these same people who give and give and give and give and give so much are also the same people who sometimes struggle to receive and to give themselves pause and permission. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. We are over givers. We, we would rather sacrifice ourselves and make sure that someone else feels taken care of. Can we talk about why that doesn't work? Oh my gosh, so many reasons. I mean, like, yeah, I could, <laughs> I could probably just rant for like right now. But exactly. I think, you know, let, let's talk a minute about why that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're sacrificing yourself to take care of someone else, I think the, the biggest risk is just that resentment that builds. You, you no longer see that person the same way. And so whether we're talking about a parent or we're talking about a relationship or we're talking about a client or we're talking about a colleague or we're talking about someone in your community, when you give too much, it, it ends up not helping the relationship. It's true. It becomes a one-sided relationship. Right? And a relationship is a two-way experience. It's mm-hmm. giving and taking. All right. So now I'm, I'm going to shift us a little bit, just mm-hmm. a tweak. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, this is why so many highly sensitive people get into the field of being a caregiver, being a therapist, being a, a nurse, being a doula, being a teacher, being someone in a caregiving profession mm-hmm. because they're givers. They, they have trouble taking it in, but giving it is not a, such a problem. That's right. And and being in that one-sided relationship is a little bit more comfortable, isn't it? Yes. And that's what a therapy relationship is or any type of healer or supporter. Mm-hmm. Right. right. We, we're in our sweet spot of just giving, but then we need to receive that at least somewhere else. Oh, and you know, with clients, you can receive it in, in ways such as charging what you're worth, right? <laughs> Holding your boundaries. You know, charging what you're worth is, it's a hard, uh, that's a hard lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. And there are so many lessons along the continuum of getting to the place where you believe in yourself. And I know for me and my work, so much of what I offer, you know, I I work with a lot of therapists, but I also work with a lot of people who would self-identify as change makers. And I find that it's that piece about believing in yourself mm-hmm. that is the core of my work. Mm-hmm. It's about this place of getting to know yourself and getting to where you can make that leap into believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that such 
Great growth happens when we're in the presence of others who we can identify with because we can see it in them before we can see it in ourselves. Absolutely. That's what we do as children, right? When we have these nourishing caregivers around, we learn to nourish ourselves. Yes. Yes. And and I don't think there's a time in our life where we stop doing it. We might just stop remembering that we need to do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you've created a community around the highly sensitive therapist. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where therapists can go to connect with that community and to learn that there are other highly sensitive therapists like them. You also have an amazing retreat coming up. Like there's there's a whole lot of movement here to create mm-hmm. both awareness but also community. And in that community there are pockets, aren't there? Absolutely. So yeah, if you look at the, well, if we look at the whole of HSPs, which is 1.4 billion people in the world. Woo, how many? 1.4 billion. <laughs> so you're not alone. That, that's just proof. You're not alone. However, that's one fifth of the population. So within that 1.4 billion, there's so many other areas of identity and intersection. So if we boil that down to just therapists, I don't know what that number is, but I mean, that's a much smaller number. And then you boil that down even more. So people that are queer, LGBT, people that are, you know, are people of color. And there's so many other points of identity within that community. So what I see a lot is people feeling that they don't quite fit into what they think an HSP is. And I want to smash that. (laughs) I want there to be acceptance across the board because we already feel isolated. And as you're saying, to believe in yourself, you have to be around people that understand you, that mm-hmm. feel yourself, um, you can see yourself in others. So finding those smaller pockets where it's, it's the right fit for you. Yeah. I, you know, I, one thing I hear a lot, and I'm sure that you hear this a lot when we're talking about high, high sensitivity, is there, there's different kinds of high sensitivity. We don't often talk a lot about high sensation seeking. Absolutely. I think maybe that deserves a little bit of um, time and energy from us, Mm -hmm. a little bit of a deep dive, because it's different than the person who solely deeply processes information, isn't it? It is. So if if people are unaware of high sensitivity, they're even more unaware of high sensation seeking. A lot of HSPs don't realize that they're high sensation seekers, so they oftentimes don't think that they're HSPs. So someone who's highly sensitive and high sensation seeking, because those are two different parts of the brain, but they do, they can coexist. Someone that identifies as both is going to feel this internal tug, this duality, so that the sensitivity piece will, you know, our brains are wired to inhibit action. So we process before we act, you know, do it once, do it right. But the the HSS, the high sensation seeker, they have this need for risk, for novelty, for thrills. So then then you're getting pulled. Someone in one of Elaine's books says it exactly right. It's like one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake at exactly the same time. So it's like you're going, but you're stopping. You're going, you're stopping. It's like learning how to drive a five-speed and then driving exactly, (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You're right. There's a lot to coordinate. Right. I remember back when I was learning how to drive and and my father was teaching me on a a standard, on a Mm -hmm. five-speed, and I was literally like sitting on the couch and my feet were doing this like clutch thing and trying to like remember how to learn it. Mm -hmm. And then when I got behind the wheel of an automatic car, I was totally confused because there was this automated kind of way of 
programming that was just starting to wire in my brain. And now without that clutch, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I can totally relate to this because my first car was a manual. And yeah, you're using like your whole body. There's this dual experience with both feet. But then, yeah, when you're in an automatic, okay, all of a sudden I'm just, I have one focus. So yeah, yeah, that's a good metaphor for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I have such a distinct memory, like talk about something you can't let go of. I remember sitting on the couch and my feet doing this funny Mm -hmm. thing that I just wasn't even. Yeah. Well, and that can be, (laughs) I'm not a high sensation seeker, so I can't speak from an internal experience of it, but just knowing clients who are both and, you know, reading about it, it is this tug. Mm -hmm. And I have clients who are introverted HSPs, high sensation seekers, that's really tough because you need to reduce the stimulation, but then to feel satisfied for your brain to feel that optimal level of stimulation, you need to be incorporating novelty. That is difficult. And okay. And so talking about this introverted, highly sensitive, high sensation seeking person, Mm -hmm. this is a trait folks. This is exactly, this is a trait, right? So we're having all of these different layers layered on. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And you can have an extroverted person here. You can have an introvert. Right. There's so many different ways. And, and, you know, you could be a person of color. You could be a queer person. You can be a Muslim person. You could Mm -hmm. be you could be any kind of person with Mm -hmm. these traits. Exactly. Right. There's so much intersection. But you could also see how. How the more places where there's intersections the more places where there's room for someone to feel I'm different. Mm -hmm. I'm even more different. I'm, I'm so much not like others. There's, there's so much more room for othering. There's so much more space for throughout one's life, one to feel like they don't belong. And I, I, I sit with this a lot. I think on the practice of being seen podcast, a lot of people have heard me talking about othering and belonging, mm-hmm. that these are, these are themes that I'm really, um, I'm really paying a lot of attention to. And I think we, we all need to pay a lot of attention to these things mm-hmm. um, because they're important, <laughs> right? It comes down to our human experience and, and so much, so much more, the more I explore these things, the more I believe that every single one of us in our own way is a misfit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Right. We're a little rebellious. We're paving, carving our own path in a sense because we're so unique. <clears throat> we have to carve our own paths. Mm-hmm. Nobody's carved our path for us before. Mm-hmm. And if the, the sooner we can all recognize that and notice that that is part of our human journeys mm-hmm. and that it's what connects us all, the less othered we will feel. Right. That's, that is a shared experience right there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you can have that really unique individual experience and be part of a larger community and, and still belong. I want that to be explicit where you get to be exactly who you are and still be part of this bigger community. Like you still fit, even if you look a little bit differently and you're, you're blazing your own trail. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just a little tidbit. Um, Cause I hear a lot of HSPs talk about, well, I, I don't experience all of the pieces of the trade exactly as I would expect. And, you know, maybe I don't fit in, maybe I'm not highly sensitive. And, that's a real concern because we already feel pretty isolated 
and just being able to embrace yourself as you are in your sensitivity. And there is a, a study, maybe a few studies that have shown that sensitivity crosses cultural differences. So just the fact that you're sensitive, you can connect with other sensitive people more so than you could with non-HSPs across cultures. So there is some beauty there. And I hope that that can be a bit of a glue that brings our community together, even when there are a myriad of differences. Hmm. Like knowing that we can accept ourselves and connect because we're sensitive people and we see the world through that lens. And then also appreciating those little uh, variations that we bring to the table. Do you think that sensitivity is on the rise? I think the awareness of sensitivity is on the rise. I also think that there's a lot of people that they want to identify with the trait, even though they aren't technically sensitive, because it's easier than maybe saying um, there's a diagnosis there or there's a trauma history there, something like that. Do you think it's also possible that, I mean, maybe there's no diagnosis, maybe there's no trauma history, maybe there's just, I process things deeper, but I'm not you know, fully according to the research, I I don't hit these 13 or 14 points, Mm -hmm. right? Like I I hit 11 or I hit 12. Or Mm -hmm. maybe there's someone like me who hits a really high number of high sensitivity numbers and a pretty high number of high sensation seeking numbers and doesn't quite make either one. Yeah, that's a good point. The people that maybe feel strongly around a few points of the scale. You know, there's 27 points on the Mm self-test and you, some people mark yes to every, every point, all 27. Other people maybe around nine or 10, but feel those really deeply and not, I don't want there to be exclusivity there because there is a possibility that you just, your body expresses certain characteristics of the trait more than others. doesn't mean that you're not highly sensitive means it just looks a little differently for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there should be room to welcome in those folks who don't look how we expect them to look. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's always so interesting because we're we're talking about, you know, essentially in some ways, maybe not putting each other not putting someone in this diagnostic box, but putting them in this box, you know? Exactly. And it it's always how do you how do you ever put people in boxes and expect mm-hmm. that, you know, we're gonna we're gonna conform to that. Um, we mm-hmm. intentionally don't conform. Right, we're exactly. we're people. We're not we're not boxes. Um, <clears throat> but I I find that this is so interesting because there's there's part of me that's also thinking, gosh, the way that our world is wired these days, mm-hmm. right? We're so digitally connected. We're so um, oh God, we've like lost connection to nature in some ways, right? Like the things that ground so many of the highly sensitive people. I know for myself, when I'm feeling the most discombobulated, I need to go on a like three hour hike in the woods. It's the only place I can rediscover myself mm-hmm. um, and reground. So if, if we're losing those kinds of connections more and more, if we're being pulled away from that, mm-hmm. it would make sense to me that more people are also discovering this this need or this yearning back towards their sensitivities, like a remembering of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a lot of good points here. I think one of the things is that because of our modern world where we're so busy and engaged all the time, I think the the HSP is tends to be more overstimulated, is more it's more obvious we're more dysregulated in general. So if you think back 50, 60 years ago, 
people were more the more simple lives that were quieter, you know, more grounded, more tactile. We're using our hands more. We're connecting deeply with our family more. That's a priority. Life is a lot different now. So we feel much more disconnected. We feel much more overstimulated, dysregulated. So I think HSPs are struggling more in general. And then everyone is overstimulated, which may be bringing up that sensitivity at a higher level mm-hmm. across the board. From an anthropological level, it's just, it's such an interesting thing that I, mm-hmm. I, you know, look forward to reading the research on one day. And I'm also really afraid of learning more about, but um, in my family, for example, we're decently mindful of mm-hmm. our use of screens and stuff like that. And yet we went over to another family in the community recently, and there's just such a different level of mindfulness from some, you know, um, they, they do even more work with their hands and they, mm-hmm. um, have no screens at all. And, you know, like it's, it's yeah. just a very different way to live. And, and there are very, you know, a lot of different people who can live in a lot of different ways and who choose to live in a way that may work for them and for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's also a lot of us who are really, um, just kind of going through the motions and then finding ourselves in a position where life overwhelms. And for some who are highly sensitive, that overwhelm is exponential. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Um, You know, everyone needs different, different environments to thrive and the non HSP might be okay with a good amount of screen time, but HSPs take an 80% of our, well, everyone takes an 80% of their stimulation through their eyes so if the default is always looking at screens, who can you just imagine the level of overstimulation we're subjecting ourselves to? Like, I really do miss life before screens, which I can remember, thankfully. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, I remember I would just spend the whole day reading or going outside or, you know, being creative. Different rhythm. Very different, different rhythm. rhythm. Different they, rhythm. Yeah. They say that children today spend, on average, 9 to 12 hours a day on a screen. Wow. Wow, that's excessive. Yeah, and I'm not, I, I, if I remember the research correct, that's not even including school hours. Oh, wow. And right, and school is using, integrating a lot of screen time as well. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen that kind of the secure attachment and child overall well-being and connection with parents is also greatly shifting because parents are on screens. Yes. And just imagine the impact of that on the well, any child, but especially the HSP child. Especially the HSP. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I just think of how if you take a typical child-parent relationship where there's going to be some some instances of misattunement, it's just inevitable. The parent can't be perfectly attuned at every moment. Nor should they be. Nor if, should they be. If we're, if, you know, if we're kind of following like a Winnicottian kind of style. Right. Or framework. Right, the good enough. The good, good enough, enough mother. Right? Exactly. We, we definitely, we're aiming for good enough. If we mm-hmm. aim to be too perfect, we're... we're um, misguiding our children in other ways. Exactly. So with a a non-HSP child, those misattunements are easily forgotten and that secure attachment is still in place. For the highly sensitive child, those misattunements can feel really, really terrible and lead to almost traumatic experiences. It's really hard. Right. I have a lot of clients that I work with who they really minimize their childhood experiences that were difficult because they think, well, it wasn't bad. You know, this was, it was, I shouldn't be upset about this. And you, when you dive into it, you realize that it was deeply painful. 
some of these moments that seem inconsequential are actually deeply painful and traumatic. And I, you know, I think, I think so much of the time, the thing that all of us need when we have a traumatic, painful moment is recognition. Mm -hmm. We need a witness, Mm -hmm. right? And for the person who is highly sensitive, maybe even more so. Yes, we do need a witness to someone to say, you're completely justified in your response and I'm with you. You're not alone in this. Or just that you're not crazy. And you're not crazy, right? You're just not crazy. This makes total sense. And that witnessing, that mirroring, that validating, holding space is Mm -hmm. profound for the highly sensitive client. And and to be clear, for those who might be living with a highly sensitive person, who might Mm -hmm. be in relationship with, who might not be highly sensitive themselves, um, it doesn't mean you have to agree or see things like them. No. It it's it is very often just a I understand that you feel this way. Absolutely. You can support and validate without needing to necessarily agree or have the same experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to give us some examples of how one might do that? Because I, I imagine that there's a lot of people listening who are like how do, how do I validate you? How do I like give you the like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You can feel that way when I totally don't understand how you feel that way. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just a matter of, well, definitely listening to your, your partner or your child experience and un- trying to taking the time to understand what it's like for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Asking questions. You can even say, you know, I, I don't really experience this in the same way, but I really I'm curious how you experience it. Tell me, right? Be open to that and really listen to that. And then you can use that information over time. And and I think this is just another thing that's coming up as I, you know, I'm a relationship therapist. And mm-hmm. so relationships are very much my jam. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps one of the misattunements here mm-hmm. is, is in this listening process, is in this feedback loop mm-hmm. where... Um, Maybe the non-highly sensitive person is perhaps, you know, on, on their own timeline. They're, they're on their own schedule here. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. You, you just, you know, you're like, and for the more highly sensitive person, what they really need in terms of a witness is like, no, like drop into this with me. Be yes. in it here now with me. Mm-hmm. Slow down and yes. just give me the space. Just don't rush me along. You got it. Exactly slowing down you it it may feel frustrating as the non-hsp because you want to just move past it It, you don't understand why it's taking so long why you need to feel everything so deeply so there is a level about this for months already come on can't we get past this exactly why are you still focused on this this wasn't a big deal get a tougher skin yes exactly so just knowing that you will need to slow down and be a little bit more patient and I think what's also important is remembering that a highly sensitive brain is going to want to think before they speak. So you may need to have moments of silence more often than maybe you feel comfortable with. Is that the case for almost all highly sensitive people that they like to think before they speak? Yeah, the highly sensitive brain is inhibited for action. So we're, if you think about it, kind of in prehistoric times, it's an evolutionary tool. We're the ones hanging back and looking for any signs of danger. We're looking at the big picture, essentially. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And the highly sensitive introvert's brain, it's going to be even more internally focused. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.
Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful piece. I'm, I'm guessing that um, for the person who is more on that edge of being highly sensitive and high sensation seeking, that might shift gears a little bit, but in, in some ways and not in all ways, but mm-hmm. it, it might shift gears um, in terms of that risk-taking kind of thrill-seeking component. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the high sensation seeker is going to be, especially if you're extroverted high sensation seeker, you are going to be more externally focused. You're probably going to move quicker. You're going to speak a little bit more freely. You may process that later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there won't be as much um, need for space. You know, I think that there's something for all of us to take away and learn from this conversation. Whether you're like on the chart and can identify yourself with the self test as being a highly a highly sensitive person or a high sensation seeker or you're you're not every single one of us gets to pause and learn about who we are in relationships with mm-hmm. ourselves and who we are and how we show up in relationships with others and we all also have to learn our partners because not none of us are really ever the same but there are definitely cases where for the majority of us, we have little things about us that the people that we're in relationships with need to learn. Absolutely. This that is we universal. need to know. Mm-hmm. Right. It's universal. Just taking time to really get to know your partner, what they need, how they're feeling, and then how those needs and feelings intersect. Yeah. And yeah, start to identify that. And after a while, you'll have that information that you no longer need to check in as much because you'll just know. And I imagine that even even the 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 most armadillo like among us, mm-hmm. right? The, the the folks who who seem the most um, guarded and, and shielded, and everybody has sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we, we can all learn about these traits, and we all have some of these traits. Mm-hmm. We might not be like on the um, the. We might not be part of the one in five who are mm-hmm. classified as a highly sensitive person, right. but we. We can learn so much about this. And I'm going back to that John Lennon song. Like, imagine if, if we really understood what sensitivity could be and what, what could it help us all bring out in ourselves and in each other mm-hmm. if we dove into these sensitivities and understood them more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What kind of shifts would we see if people were more accepting? They embraced their sensitivities, their emotional experiences more. They gave themselves time to slow down and reduce the noise, right? Just reconnecting within. You have a completely different world. I'd like to be part of that world. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah. April, thank you so much for being with us again. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I've, I just feel really grateful that we've been able to dive into this topic in a more complex way. That feels like a gift and it feels really needed. So thank you for welcoming, welcoming me back. Oh, anytime. And I'd like you to make sure our listeners know how to, how to find you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at sensitivetherapist.com. I have a link to our, the Facebook group that we mentioned and a lot of resources for highly sensitive therapists and then also a guide if you're working with highly sensitive clients wonderful thank you so much april thank you and so there's one more episode to come with more news about my big pivot 
You can look for that episode in the next week or so to close out this season. Our Wild Women discussion groups continue to meet online through September of 2018. So if you're interested in journeying together with us to remember who you are, what you're made of, and why you're here, go to practiceofbeingseen.com slash wildwoman to learn more. And to learn about my relationship therapy practice, intensive couples retreats in New York, or to work with me in any other way, go to connectfulness.com. And I'd love to hear from you if you want to share your reflections of the season um, or just let me know what you're thinking about these days. Shoot me an email at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, with the amazing behind-the-scenes support of Christy Hausler. Music has been by Chris Ferris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidneystone Studio. I hope that you've enjoyed this season. And that you'll continue to follow us over at connectfulness.com.